One of the big problems with overly having strong labels about yourself is, is that when you overly define your current self, then you project that towards your future self and you assume that who you are now is who you're always going to be. Welcome to Traction Bill, the podcast for companies running on EOS. I'm your host, Chris White, along with... Benj Miller. And today we're super excited to have Dr. Benjamin Hardy, author of the Personality Isn't Permanent book. Ben, welcome to Traction Bill. Thanks, Chris. Happy to be with you both. Tell us uh, from the beginning, how did you get here to this idea that, that personality isn't permanent. Why are you passionate about it? The book is um, very engaging. You're engaging. Um, you've got a great demeanor. Uh, but how, how did this happen? How did this become the platform to which we're talking to you? <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I wasn't really planning on writing a book on personality. It started to really pop up into, I mean, I got a PhD in psychology. Personality is a very big subject. Uh, I will say I was very surprised going through a PhD learning about why type-based categorical tests are bad science. They're kind of like the plastic fast food model of personality, not the way that I would recommend looking at personality. They're also not the way I would recommend hiring someone. Like you're not going to predict someone's performance based on a Myers-Briggs test. You can't really predict performance through that. You a lot of other better tools to predict performance if that's what you're looking for, but that's not why I even wrote it. I mean, I wrote it because in 2018, um, maybe you guys, you guys probably know who Joe Polish is, right? Yeah, he and I are good friends. And we went up to a conference, and this was kind of the segue of many things that occurred that led me to writing this book. Um, but we went to a Gabor Mate con conference. Gabor Mate is one of the leading experts on trauma, and that's important to Joe because he's really big into addiction. I wrote Willpower Doesn't Work, which is really relevant to entrepreneurs, but a big aspect of that book actually is addiction. Um, and so I wasn't that really aware of all of the research on trauma. And trauma isn't a dominant aspect of my book, but it's a big theme. But I, I, was, I just kept hearing about how trauma shapes personality. And then in 2018, I read the book, The Body Keeps the Score, which is a yes. huge book on yes. trauma. And uh, that book really kind of helped me understand how trauma freezes your personality, keeps you stuck in the past, shrinks your comfort zone, leads you to being rigid. Um, and it's really interesting now in COVID because I recently just reread Man's Search for Meaning. And I don't know if you guys read Man's Search for Meaning yeah. by Victor Frankl. What's really interesting about that book, kind of just thinking about it in today's situation, but just in general, is, is that what he found is, is that whenever you lose a purpose in your life, a sense of future, you completely lose meaning in the present. And so like you die in the concentration camp when you have no future to look forward to. So like the people in the concentration camp would, um, you know, believe that, by Christmas, they'd get out of the concentration right. camp. Christmas would come and go. And when Christmas passed and they didn't come, like waves of people would die because they lost that future and you need a future. And the only reason I bring that up is because trauma shatters that. And so this just really led me to thinking really deeply about the subject of personality um, because a lot of people think it's innate. A lot of people think it's fixed. I mean, I even have psychology friends who believe that it's not that flexible, even though like the research disconfirms that. And so I just thought, I feel like a book needs to be written hitting this subject on the head that kind of explains why personality can often become rigid and not just personality, but we as people. And why do we get stuck? And what is this thing really? And how can it change? Because it certainly can. 
And so I just felt like I wanted to take this thing on. And that's what led us to this conversation. What are some of the things that help people who would want to evolve their personality? I think that really what's so first off, I will say that over 90% of people want to change aspects of themselves. They want to change some aspect of their personality, whether it's to be better with people, whether it's to be more social, more confident, like there's, we all want to change aspects of ourselves. Um, From my, from my perspective, focusing on personality actually shouldn't even be the goal. In my opinion, personality is a byproduct. Personality is an unintended side effect. You can, you can go ahead and try to hit it directly. In my opinion, it's a lot better to focus directly on your identity. Identity is a lot more important than environment. I mean, than personality, in my opinion. You start straight with identity. And honestly, where you would actually start is the identity of your future self. Who is it the person you ultimately want to be? Um, there's a lot of research on how the number one deathbed regret that people have is that they didn't have the courage to be the person they wanted to be. Instead, they lived up to the expectations of those around them. So starting with an open, honest conversation, our, our, our good man, Dan Sullivan, says all progress starts by telling the truth. So I think, who is the person you really want to be? Um, that's, that's where you would start, is identity. Um, there's obviously many layers where you go beyond that. You begin to tell people about who you want to be. There's plenty of ways to clarify your future self. It's important to realize, though, rather than trying to find yourself, your future self is the person you decide to be. It's a decision. It's not a, it's not a discovery. It's who do you want to be? Uh, and the more confident you become as a person, the more you expose yourself to more things, the better you can actually clarify a future self. So once we get that vision of our future self, is it, are, are you implying a fake it till you make it? No, not at all. Because actually, so there's a really good TED talk I'd point your listeners to. It's six minutes long. It's called the psychology of your future self. And basically this is by a guy named Daniel Gilbert. He's been at Harvard for a long time. He's studied personality change over time. The first question he actually asks people, and I'll ask both of you, um, he asks people, are you the exact same person you were 10 years ago? So I'll not. ask you that. You're not the same person you were 10 years ago. What about you, Chris? No. That is pretty much a unanimous answer. <laughs> so first off, it's really important to realize you are not the same person you were 10 years ago. Your current and your former self are two separate people. I think we can agree with that. You both just did. The same principle should apply to your future self. Your future self and you are not the same person. One of the big problems with overly having strong labels about yourself is, is that when you overly define your current self, then you project that towards your future self and you assume that who you are now is who you're always going to be and potentially who you've always been. Um, that's, there's a lot of negatives to holding so tight and being so definitive about your current self. Um, but it's important to realize that your future self is different. So Hal Hirschfeld, he's a psychologist at UCLA. He spent a lot of time studying how having a future self concept influences current decisions. And basically what he's found, and I think it makes intuitive sense once you've heard it, is if you see your future self as a different person than who you are today, you can make better decisions here and now because your future self would make different decisions than you would today. They're in a different position. Um, and so rather than faking it till you make it, it's actually an acknowledgement that you want to be someone who you're not yet. You're not, you're not there yet. I'm not pretending to be someone I'm not. I'm seeking to be someone I'm not. I want to be this person and I, and I'm not there yet. It's, it's more of a humility perspective, actually overly defining your current self as ego. It's saying, I know who I am and I don't need to do anything different. Mm. Telling people about who you want to be is an acknowledgement that you're not there yet. Mm. That's beautiful. Now, one of the things that you're quick to do is, um, I don't know if it's too strong of a word to say pick a fight with, but you definitely warn against um, some of the downsides of what are our traditional personality tests. Why is that? Um, 
I mean, I warn against them for many reasons. Um, that makes me think that they're harmful. <laughs> I think that they are. I think that, I, I think that they can be used in beneficial ways. We all are part of social circles that use these tests, and I believe that they can be used in, in, in beneficial ways. I myself would never want to be defined by one of these tests. I myself feel creeped out when people are trying to put them onto me. Um, that's me. Um, but I can explain why as a psychologist. Um, first off, they are not scientifically rigorous. Um, they're just not, they're not good science. Um, and this is one of the things I had. So in order for something to be a good test, a good measure, it has to be what's considered uh, reliable and valid. Valid meaning it's studying what it says it's studying. Reliable meaning you can get consistent results. Um, and generally with these personality tests, there's a lot of research that shows you're going to get different scores depending on a myriad of reasons. Um, one study actually took two groups of people and they gave one group of people the same personality test in two separate situations. One was, you know, they got the test and then a week later they got the same test. And in that, in that group, they had the same administrator give them the test and their personalities were similar. They got not the exact same scores, but similar scores. Other group, same situation. They took the same personality test. A week later, they took the same personality test. Only difference, different test administrator. And by just changing that one variable, the people got completely uncorrelated scores. Um, like this isn't really that big a deal to me. Um, the fact that like so many aspects, we take tests for, for reasons. Um, and I actually recently retook the color code test. I talk about it in the beginning of the book about how my wife almost didn't marry me because of a score I got on a personality test, which is a true story. So I was on a podcast and someone said, Ben, we please retake that test. I just want you to retake it because I hadn't looked at it honestly for like almost probably eight or nine years. And I didn't really even know a lot about test and development and stuff like that before then. I took the test two or three days ago and I had my wife retake the test. It is such a terrible test. Um, like how it's designed. It's like, ask these questions as if you were a child. And I'm like, I, I don't know, but like the test construction is pretty bad. But science aside, I'm really concerned about what these tests do to people's identity. Um, the reason people love them is because they do give you a sense of identity. Right. You can describe yourself and, and we need that. You describe your, how you describe yourself is your identity. Um, and so people like to describe themselves in various ways. I'm an entrepreneur as an example. I actually think that that's really nice because that doesn't lock you into anything. As an entrepreneur, you can actually grow within that. I, think, I don't think that that's actually necessarily a negative label. It can become one because sometimes a status can keep you from kind of going from to that next level. But these types of labels, I'll just give like two or three examples. One is context. They're, they're an emphasis on content and an ignorant, they completely ignore context. And in various contexts, you're not going to live to the label. You're, actually, you're not the same person in every situation and in every role. You're quite different in different roles. But these tests ignore that fact. These tests also lead you to being mindless, where you think the label is always true. Ellen Langer has studied this for a long time at Harvard. If you believe that, you, you know, basically a label creates tunnel vision. If you believe you're depressed, you'll think you're always depressed, even though actually many times throughout a day you're not depressed. Um, you know, basically with selective attention, it's like when you buy a car, you see the car everywhere. That's not, I mean, you can see the car that you're driving, but you don't see the 500 other cars. And that's really how our behavior is. We're not as consistent as we think we are, but our, but our perspective only sees what we believe is our identity. The final big problem, and this is the biggest one for me, is that when you have a label and it's a big part of your identity, you seek to defend and confirm it rather than disconfirm it. Like you really want that label to be true because, right. it's, because it's a part of your identity. 
And so you, you don't imagine or be flexible to anything outside that identity. You don't imagine a different future self than the person you already are. You're just trying to continue being the same person you are today. And that would stunt you from becoming someone potentially. Exactly. Yeah. This episode is sponsored by the EOS conference. The national EOS conference is designed for companies running on EOS. In its fourth year, it's already impacted hundreds of companies around the world. This year, you can attend online, right from your desk. The conference will be fully virtual this year, meaning you have an even greater opportunity to access the incredible opportunities and content available during the event. By attending the conference, you will connect, learn, and strengthen the impact of EOS in your business. You'll connect with other companies running on EOS and the entire EOS community. You'll learn from expert speakers, including me, Chris White, along with founder Gino Wickman. Best of all, you'll strengthen your implementation of EOS and learn to adapt the tools to the challenges you're facing in this pandemic. The EOS conference will take place May 13th, 14th, and 15th virtually. So join us. To register, visit eosconference.com. We are open for business. So we've got a bunch of entrepreneurs out there and we've been taught what, whatever their flavor of the month is. We are looking for two things, right? We're trying to figure out the personality. Some of them are even trying to figure out character. And then we're trying to figure out skill set, right? When we hire these people. With what you know, how should we approach that? Mm-hmm. I mean, I have to say, I'm not the best with huge organizations, I, even though that was my education. I mean, I can speak as an entrepreneur because I have employees. I honestly, I really like Dan's tool, the impact filter. Have you guys ever filled one of those out? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, for me, Love honestly, whenever I hire someone new, I have to be really clear on what the role is. And I failed at this for so long. We all do. Um, Oh, yeah, you, know, for, you know, like at the beginning, I hired people with not clear roles. They, ha- they were just as spread thin as me. So much decision fatigue, so much non-clarity. And they ultimately were just as frustrated and spread thin as me. And I think as I've gotten better at hiring, I hire so specifically now. It's like, you're just handling email and that's it. Like, you know, like you're just scheduling my podcasts. That's it. Like um, complexity kills motivation. And so it's really important for people to be really clear on what their role is. This is what I think what leadership is, what the role is and what success looks like in that role. And success needs to be results oriented. It's like, right. what, are, what are the ultimate results that are you're trying to produce in this? And so like, to me, the impact filter as a one page tool is so cool. Cause it's just like, you define all the success criteria. It's like, this is when the job is done is like when I've had 400 podcasts scheduled, you know, when my schedule is blah, blah, blah. Like you just dial it out. And then I, I ultimately have my assistant Whitney hire people, but like we just, but I think the, per, the people who are attracted to the success criteria and they're like, I can do that. And then obviously you have a conversation with them to say, what evidence do you have that you can do that? You know what I mean? Yeah. But um, I, I myself don't think personality is relevant, you know, particularly for myself, because I have a very digital team. Like we interface with each other. We talk on various channels, but personality in many cases is the last thing I'm worried about. If it becomes yeah. a problem, which sometimes it can, then you assess that. But you're not really going to capture that in a test. You're not going to capture yeah. if someone's got a problematic personality with Myers-Briggs. I know, um, I know for us, as, I'm sorry to cut you up. I, no, no, my, no, you're my, good. My mind is just 
like spinning and I am a visionary, so I tend to, so I'm trying to, I'm trying to control myself, but, um, you know, uh, a colleague of mine, uh, Mark O'Donnell, who's, uh, with, with coach and, um, a lot of us implementers, you know, we need, we need really good EAs, right? And we're trying to apply all these assessments to an EA and Mark just kind of pushed that aside. And he, you know, and I know I've used the impact filter and, and familiar with it. And he kind of took that concept, you know, and he made an impact filter for an EA. And Ben, yeah, I'll it's share, so I'll easy. You're just defining it's what you so, want. There's to your point, personality, all that other stuff. No, this is what I want in an EA, and it's like simple. Yes. And that, I mean, it's really that easy. It's like, who are, what are you looking yeah. for? What's the outcome? And what do, what are the things that they need to complete in order for them to be doing their job? Yeah. How do you define a success? Right. And, uh, that's, I mean, to me that that's really how you find the right who, I mean, we talk about who, not how, you know, you, once you find the person who's committed to accomplishing the goal as the leader, you actually have to get out of their way because right. how, because how they do things is different than how you do things. And you shouldn't be the one doing it anyways, or right. else, you know, because, you need to focus your brain on where you need to focus your brain. You need to actually like not micromanage the situation. So if someone's committed to accomplishing the goal, you need to let them do that. And I think one of the things that Dan talks about that's really great that I think is important is letting people fail, like letting, letting your employees work it out or letting your collaborators, like rather than trying to save them, because if you get into the habit of trying to fix it, then they're going to become dependent on you fixing any situation. And so then you're a manager versus creating what he calls a self-managing company where people become just as invested as you are because right. they've got the confidence and the ownership that they can learn and make mistakes and do it their way. They can do the how, how they want to. So I think it's really about being really crystal clear on what you want and crystal clear on what success looks like and why it's important. And usually to me, you can, you can whittle down, you know, a few really good options of people like, you know, for my, just as an example, for the person who's just handling my email right now, because I want to offload that off of my, my one assistant, because I want her to focus on other things. I mean, I was able to find someone amazing with a, with a bachelor's in marketing from a really good school who just was really excited to do that type of work. She's never done that type of work. She's done a lot of online marketing, done a lot of Facebook, ads, never actually like answered e- emails specifically, but it's not, it's not that hard of a task. I mean, I was very clear. I want every email answered within 24 hours. I want everyone to feel like they're loved, you know, by Benjamin Hardy. I want any email that's about podcasts to get sent to Connie, anything about speeches to get sent to Whitney. Like I just laid out, like literally this is, but you do it exactly how you want to. It's like, she's very competent. Of course, this person can handle my email. She's really smart and she wants to do it. And I'm clear what success looks like in that role. And she's clear. And so she's empowered. Exactly just recently had on Derek and David from Firefly group. They're the, the, the group that came in and, and bought EOS worldwide. Oh wow! And we were talking to them about this issue of entrepreneurs that uh, the visionaries that have not really let the who take over and <laughs> how that can kill the valuation and the potential of that transition, whether it's to, to recap the company or a succession planning, because if, if they haven't really let go and given those people the reins, then they're still critical to the business 
and you can't just, you know, buy it and make that transition. So it's so good. Um, for those of you playing a little bit of catch up, Dan is Dan Sullivan. Coach is Strategic Coast and the Impact Filter is one of their tools. Uh, Strategic Coach is becoming more and more of an integral part and partner with EOS um, as EOS is to the entrepreneurial organization. Uh, strategic coach is to that entrepreneur. And really, really, wouldn't you say the, ma- the majority of that is around mindset? Um, it's and, and, yeah, I think so. I think it's a lot about mind. It really is. I mean, that's, that's a big part of it. And the mindset, honestly, to begin whoing, like getting who's and to not do stuff. I mean, it's really about, yeah, expanding what you can do in the future so that you can yeah. grow. And into you, that. you, got the opportunity to write a book on this with Dan Sullivan. Super yeah. cool. Not out yet. So you're getting a sneak. I'll share you. I'll share you. I'll share you guys. I'll share right. with you too. I'll share with All you right. the PDF. We won't tell anybody. Give us a little plug for the book. Who's it for? What's the goal? What's the purpose? I mean, the goal is definitely, I mean, the purpose is it's for entrepreneurs. So I heard Dan Sullivan teaching who not how around right when he kind of caught the concept back in 2018. Um, I actually loved the idea so much that I said, and he knew who I was because I was in the group. I just said, Dan, can I take this idea and turn it into a, a major book? I'm like, you can be, you can obviously be the author. You know, I just would love to write this book and help you spread this message. He's like, that sounds like a really good idea. Let's talk about it tomorrow. And he actually literally the next day handed me an impact filter. <laughs> he yeah, said, of course. He said, here's what, here's what success looks like. Here's what failure looks like. Here's why this is so important. And here's what would, here's what's at stake if we don't do this. And I'm like, what does this mean? He's like, it means that this is a go. You're the who go do it. You know, like basically like often like clarifying the vision is all you need to do. Like, otherwise you let the person go and figure out how to do it. But what ended up happening in my case was, is I I wrote two book proposals with my agent that summer, one for this book and one for who not how. And my agent or my, my, my publisher didn't want who not how. Honestly, they were like, because Dan's big in the entrepreneurial world. He's not big in New York City. Like, you know, like, you know, I think you were talking about Ryan Holiday. Way more people know who Ryan Holiday is than they know of Dan Sullivan. But in our niche, Dan Sullivan is, you know, a king in many ways. But my my agent didn't know who Dan Sullivan was. My publisher didn't know who Dan Sullivan was. And so they were like, and even though the idea was kind of cool, they were like, I really like personalities and permanent. We want you to do that book. That book's got broader appeal. And so I was like, oh, crap. And I had to go back and tell Dan and Babs, I have to write this other book. I have to finish my PhD. Let's wait for a year. And they, they're totally like, they have a totally different mindset about time. But what I ultimately ended up realizing was, is that I couldn't, I, I needed to who myself, that who ended up becoming Tucker Max. We told Tucker Max about the situation. He hooked us up with Reed Tracy at Hay House. And I explain all this in the book, but like every who needs a who in many ways. And like, I couldn't, it's all about results. You know, it's about who can create the result the most effectively. Like if you're stuck, if you're plateaued or something like that, you probably need someone else to help you get the result. Either you're procrastinating or you're stuck. You need someone else to get you that result. If you're a results oriented person, you need who's not how's. This isn't your first book either. You, you met, you briefly mentioned at least one previous book. Willpower doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Dan actually shared willpower doesn't work with all his clients. And so it actually made its way into various circles, but willpower doesn't work. It's a book about environment and about how your environment is honestly very important. (laughs) It's more important than willpower. Um, so very cool. So you've got the captive audience of, uh, hundreds of entrepreneurs listening right now. What advice, uh, you know, you've got a lot of depth and expertise. What advice would you give them? 
that they should be thinking about this week? Well, one of the big things I talk about in this book is that your goals are the thing that shape your identity. And I think it's really good to question your goals. Like, you know, I tell the story actually of a guy named Andre Norman. He's chapter two in Personalities and Permanent. Guy who grew up in the hood of Boston, went to prison for 14 years and ended up going to Harvard. Um, But I kind of explain in the book how he came to the conclusion that he was on the yellow brick road towards the Wizard of Oz and the Wizard of Oz was nothing. You know, so like when he was in prison, his major goal was to be the top guy in prison. And I'm not saying any entrepreneur is in this situation, but the principle is pretty powerful. So like he, when there's actually hierarchies in prison, you know, and he, he got fixed on the idea that he wanted to be the number one guy. And like, in order to do that, he had to kill a lot of people in prison, you know, and he was in solitary confinement and he had been on this path for a long time. And he has ultimately what he calls his wizard of Oz moment where he came to the realization that, okay, if I achieve this goal, what does it actually mean? Like, what does that actually mean? Because your identity is based on what you're pursuing. Interesting. And, and he came to the conclusion that if he saw this thing out to the end, he would be at the Wizard of Oz is a hoax. There's nothing there. You know, like, and so he realized he needed to pursue a new goal. Ultimately, he came to the, initially, you know, so he had to question his identity. He had to question everything he'd been pursuing because maybe there wasn't that much value in what his ultimate aim was and the thing that he was walking down that long yellow brick road for 20 years. and so you know, he ultimately reshifted his focus after a lot of consideration. He decided his goal was to go to Harvard, which to him made sense. Um, and it obviously took him another eight years or six to eight years to get out of prison, 14 years to become a fellow of Harvard. The only reason I say that is that the thing you're pursuing, your goal is the thing shaping your identity. And sometimes you should question that, you know, obviously yes. maybe it's fun to actually look at like journals. I love looking at old journals and looking at my old goals. It's so fun to like, look at what I was pursuing back then. Um, you know, Dan talks about measure the gain, but like, I'm like, I love looking at like where my mindset was at, where my confidence was at, how unaware I was back then. And just, it's fun to look at that. And it's important to realize your future self is going to have better goals than you have now, especially if you're continuing to learn your future self will be able to conceptualize how they'll have better confidence. They'll be exposed to more things. Um, maybe they'll have a level of maturity where they'll pursue the things that really matter to them versus maybe status and symbol. And so I think that my invitation for people, you know, they, they say that the number one deathbed regret is that you didn't have the courage to be who you wanted to be, but you lived up to the expectations of those around you. Um, who is your future self? A lot of great research on this. You can't make good decisions without a clear future self. You can't engage in what's called deliberate practice without a clear future self. Deliberate practice is transformational learning. So who is that person you really want to be? And what does that person actually look like? What are they focused on? What is their purpose? What are their goals? What are their circumstances? And if you're really clear on that, and you can get clear on it, and by the way, it's a decision, not a discovery. It's a choice. Right. Um, then you need to start telling people about that. You need to be honest about that. And I think once you start having the courage to do that and start telling people about that, then you start to create an environment around you that either supports or doesn't. And the people mm-hmm. that don't support it, um, you know, they're wanting you to stay the person you are today. But I think having the courage to clarify your future self and not getting caught in the identity of the past, even if it's a success trap, the sim, you know, the yeah. status, yeah. Sta- I mean, status. status can really keep you trapped. And I think, eventually, you know, I had to let go of the status that I was the number one writer in the world on medium.com because that became completely irrelevant to where I wanted to go next. Um, I could have stayed in that status because it was comfortable because it, sure. it was, but to me it was really kind of shallow. Um, so I just think, why are you defining yourself the way you are? Why are you on the yellow brick road you're on? And maybe you should question that yellow brick road and maybe you could have a better and mm. different goal. 
I love that. Great I, don't know, I don't know who said this, and I'm sure you guys have heard of it, right? But but if 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 your goals don't scare you, they're not big enough. I like that a lot. Ben, uh, where me, can we send yeah. some people to learn more about you? BenjaminHardy.com. BenjaminHardy.com is where you can find blog posts. Anyone who pre-orders the book, they'll get three uh, free online courses. One, this book actually has about 150 journal prompts um, for taking people, reframing trauma. Trauma is one thing that's huge, and it's really just a meaning. It's a meaning you can reframe. Memories are very flexible. Your story in the past is fiction, as Dan would say, but it's true. Um, One thing I want people to just understand at the end is, is your personality and your comfort zone are two very similar things. They're almost synonyms personality and comfort zone to do anything outside of what's typical for you would be you know create anxiety why i like entrepreneurs is because they're so used to doing that anyways yeah um but yeah you can find my work at benjaminhari.com i actually did a full day training about two years ago at genius network because you know i had to kind of explain all of my blogging strategies that led to many a thing um one of the, and i give away that full day training for you know it's one of the free bonuses we get but actually in that free training, I actually give the full book proposal for this book, oh, um, which actually Ryan Holiday helped me write. I paid uh-huh. Ryan Holiday. Yeah, so like, I, and for anyone who wants to go traditionally publish, I break down book proposals and all the blogging strategies that got 100 million views. So all of that stuff's free on benjaminhurry.com. Um, the main thing I obviously want people to read is personalities and permanent, but. Yeah. Love it. We'll make it happen. We'll point people to it, point people to you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you even more for the work that you've done that's given you the insight to uh, give us the inspiration of the day. Thanks for being with us. What a pleasure. Give a round of applause in your car, in your office, wherever you are for Dr. Benjamin Hardy um, and pass this episode on, please. It'll help us grow the community of Tractionville EOS. But more than anything, there's something that's going to help somebody you heard today from Dr. Benjamin Hardy. So pass it on and we'll see you next week for Tractionville Tuesday.